Hey, folks. I just wanted to come on ahead of the episode and say this one is definitely not safe for work. So if swearing is not your thing, please skip this episode. There are more on the way, I can assure you of that. But just don't flood us with one-star reviews, please. Just because we swore, I hate that. If you're sticking around, please enjoy this episode. It was so much fun. Welcome, everyone, and dear God, it sounds so weird to say those words. We're we're back. I couldn't stay away, so I decided to bring back the podcast, and I picked up a pair of ultra-terrestrials along the way, and uh, they are joining me (laughs) for for another collaboration. Gentlemen, please introduce yourselves. I am Mark Storrs. And I am Rob Morphy. That's right. It's another Kryptonaut OSS crossover episode. Boys, Woo! how you doing? Woo! Fucking Good, man. Phenomenal. Yeah. No, I'm talking, Mark. I'm talking. This is how organized <laughs> this is going to be. <laughs> I am great. Mark, you may go now. Yeah, no, I was just going to I was going to give the, the disclaimer that yet again we are uh potting remotely, so we're tripping over each other constantly. And I was waiting for Rob to finish up to be like, "Yeah, our strange guys is back, baby. Kryptonaut podcast is here again to hopefully not ruin his show any more than we already have." But Oh no, uh, it's already this happens. is what happens when he invites scumbags to his house. This is what happens. I know. Rob, I'm <laughs> yeah. so sorry, but I am honored to be here. And A, I do want to say paraphrasing mark but i mean it sincerely i was so delighted when we when we got this uh call from you that that you wanted to a come back and b involve us but mostly the a part because your pod's been missed it is brilliant you are one of the the kings out there so i literally say huzzah to you sir i'm glad you're back and i'm delighted you let us be a part of this uh reintroduction I appreciate it, gentlemen, because it's been a rough road. 2020 was a a rough road for a lot of us, but it feels good to be back and it feels good to be wanted to be back. So uh, definitely thank you for that. The story tonight, it's an interesting one in that it involves some elf looking guy that just appeared in front of a bunch of skiers and the aftermath and the uh, supposed further contacts that one of them had. So I figured... Just given how outlandish the story is, I needed to have you on for it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that, it's that, our bread and butter. Is, it's what we love. So yeah, the more outlandish, the better, definitely. And not yeah. to not to get into the celebratory um St. Christopherson um, uh, mode, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) This is actually one of my all-time favorite cases. I've read about it when I was very young, and I've always been fascinated. And the way you present the information, both in terms of the stories itself and the way it was released to the public step-by-step, it again shows you are just... You are the Sifu of research and chronicling really, truly bizarre extraterrestrial and and other events. So again, kudos to you. When I read your work, 
which, you know, I was lucky enough to be sent before I was just like blown away. I'm like, this is how it's done. This is how you present the facts. And again, man, brilliant. Well, well played. When I was writing this up and I, I had originally, this was one of the few episodes that I was working on before I put a wraps on the podcast. I had a bunch of stuff written out. And uh, when I was going through and revising it, Rob Morphy's voice was in my head the entire time in, in terms of uh, how I wanted it to be written, how I wanted it to be presented. And, and hopefully it comes through this evening. Oh, bless your heart. I mean, first nice. off, you know, you are the one here and I thank you. You flattered me beyond belief, but it is astonishing the way you put it together and it is beautifully written. And again, it's one of my favorites and I have never thought about the case in quite this way, even though I knew the basic facts, it, you put it together just wonderfully. So I, I cannot wait to get into this now. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Without further ado, um, Finland has an interesting history with its UFOs, and uh, it doesn't normally get the spotlight that it deserves from time to time. But when Maria Lacks was a child, she moved around a lot. She was a native of Finland, and she had spent a lot of time growing up in the United States and Switzerland. And by the age of six, she had learned three languages. And according to an interview with the British Journal of Photography, for their female and focus series, Lax claimed that this left her longing for a place to call home, which is very fitting when you think of aliens and sometimes them coming down to Earth. But in 2013, the London-based photographer took a trip home to Finland and discovered a book written by her grandfather, Soini Lax, called Putasarvan Ufot. The book recalled a flap of UFO sightings that had occurred in the small town of Putasarvi in the 1960s. Lax became fascinated by the accounts of strange lights interacting with people of, of Finland and grew connected to their witnesses. How fucking phenomenal would it be to just randomly discover that your grandfather wrote this fucking book that mm -hmm. had these fantastic UFO sightings and then have that, you know, influence you like... You know, I know my mom, you know, was into UFOs and some crazy stuff, and that certainly helped put the seed in me. But to actually have a tome written by an immediate ancestor about this stuff and have that send you on a path, how fucking brilliant is that? I think it's any, like, Fordian's dream is to have that happen to them, you know? <laughs> and here, I think here. for some it does, you know? For, for some it definitely does. There was an account from two siblings that witnessed a helmet-shaped UFO fly over their car on the morning of November 13, 1967. The pair watched the unknown object for a combined 20 minutes before expeditiously heading home out of fear. On October 8, 1969, a taxi driver and their fare witnessed 12 orbs of light in the town of Rengsvara fly through the town in front of other motorists, illuminating houses and businesses before retreating to the woods on the edge of town. One of the most dramatic sightings involved a group of three motorists traveling in a car. And that seems to be the theme with a lot of these sightings is that, and for this one in particular, on the evening of December 13th, 1969, they witnessed an object descend from the sky approximately half mile in front of them. The object had a cone on the bottom of it, and from it erupted flames, you know, like those of a rocket engine, kind of reminiscent of uh, 
the um, Cash Landrum incident a little bit. That's exactly but, uh, we. Uh, I was gonna. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Rob. Again, no, no, I'm, you're good. I'm, you're I keep folding all over you. It's just me. I apologize to your listeners. No, Welcome you, to my you're world, good, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true. But the Cash Landrum incident. I think Mark and I were talking about it just last week. And what was interesting about that, and I can't help but uh, find it somewhat analogous here, is that. The cone-shaped bottom, What in the Cash Landrum incident, it was a diamond-shaped object spewing flames that allegedly irradiated Betty Cash and Vicky Landrum. And, and I think eventually they actually got compensation from the United States government for the, the health damage and the damage to the car in the whole nine yards, which is like a first ever, uh, you know, in terms of the government kind of conceding that they did something. But it was later on, as I'm sure you know, that uh, – Richard Doty, the Mirage Man, the guy who definitely worked for the Air Force's OSI, Office of Special Investigations, but mm-hmm. may or may not be telling the truth now about you know the reality of UFOs. He said that that was a retrofitted alien spacecraft, the Cash Landrum one, that was trying to fly by a nuclear propellant. So that's what the flames were, and that's what caused the radiation sickness and the uh, you know to Betty and Vicky and the damage to the car, and also I think the grandson Colby. So when I see flames coming out of a UFO, which is semi, not common, but it's seen enough, it always makes me think, even though Richard Doty is a lying piece of shit most of the time, probably, but it always makes me think there is a possibility that there is a a human element trying to uh, power vehicles they can't comprehend and that you should probably avoid them at all costs. Yeah. Betty and Vicky, they didn't end up winning their case. I do remember that. They tried. They lost. But what's interesting here, at the same time that I think it was like days before the Cash Landrum incident, you had the Rendlesham Forest incident happen where, you know, John Burroughs sued the government for his health records and to pay for, you know, his his uh, medical bills and stuff like that. He did end up winning. So, uh, yeah. So you have these incidents occurring around the same time, which is, uh, you know, it's always been fascinating. This object flew along the road for a number of minutes while the driver maintained a healthy distance away before it just completely turned upward and disappeared. There is something otherworldly about the streets you walk after witnesses come forward with strange tales of -of out-of-place objects and lights that flew above them. An eerie history moves in like an unseen fog. You can feel it in the pavement as your tires crackle over them. The streetlight in front of your home seems menacing at night, and the sky above feels a little too empty, but there always remains a feeling that whatever it was could return at any minute. After reading the book, Blacks reached out to many of the witnesses interviewed for it and heard their stories firsthand. She started with the retired taxi driver who had seen the 12 orbs of light in 1969, appearing on his doorstep unannounced, but was still thrilled to talk about his sighting nonetheless. He named a number of other eyewitnesses, leading Lax to conduct dozens of interviews with residents that still lived in the area. Most of them described a strange but beautiful light that would follow them through the surrounding forest. Some even claimed to be abducted by these mysterious objects. Driven by a connection to this area and to her grandfather's work, She set out to recreate what witnesses had seen all those years before through photography. And in 2015, the photos first started to appear on Lax's Instagram page. They have since been collected in her first book, 
some kind of heavenly fire. And I own this book and it is fucking gorgeous to stare at. The title comes from a statement made by one of the witnesses who saw the nearby forest illuminated by red light. Quote, one night, the forest seemed to be on fire as far as the eye could see. It was a cold November night and there was snow on the ground. So I knew it couldn't be. I don't know what I saw that night, but it wasn't from this world. It was some kind of heavenly fire. While Lax highlighted Finland's lesser known cases, the country's most notorious case involved a pair of skiers near the tiny village of Imjarvi. Now, this story went through a few phases in its retelling, first appearing in the pages of Flying Saucer Review in their May-June issue of 1970. It was approximately 4.45 p.m. on January 7th, 1970. The skies were clear and the temperature was beginning to drop as the stars started coming out for the night. Despite the now frigid temperatures, it had been a beautiful day for skiing. Arno Heinonen, 36, worked in forestry, while Esko Vilho, 38, was a farmer by trade. The pair had been great friends for years and avid cross-country skiers for just as long. They had just crested a hill when Arno heard a strange buzzing sound, though it was Esko that first sighted the strange object. In the original reports, it was described as a thin, narrow point of light. This light, which the men called the phenomenon, exploded into a cloud that was, quote, brighter than the moon. It descended below treetop level, and from it came a ring of white light that fell to the snow. Its outer edge was black, measuring approximately 50 centimeters, or about a foot and a half in diameter. Soon after descending in front of the startled hikers, the ring would erupt in a 4th of July-like display of red, green, and violet-colored sparks. A small disc, slightly smaller than the ring on the ground, would then lift up from it as soon as the sparks began to fade, floating to the strange clouds still hovering above the trees. The cloud then lifted up and disappeared rapidly at a fast rate of speed. The two skiers began to experience negative health effects almost immediately after the encounter took place. Arno Heinonen's right side, which had been facing the mysterious phenomenon, felt hot to the touch. His body became numb, and it was difficult for him to breathe. He struggled to get to a doctor in Heinola, which was a nearby town, who only prescribed the young skier some sleeping pills. Arno would make multiple trips to the doctor, but they could find no explanation for his condition. Similarly, Esco Vilho would have health problems as well. An hour after the encounter, his face became very swollen and red. He described feeling light in the legs, which was throwing off his balance. The doctor, too, prescribed him nothing but sleeping pills. On multiple trips to the hospital, Esco complained of eye pain and headaches, for which he was prescribed eye drops. These doctors clearly suck ass. <laughs> They're just giving yeah. you sleeping pills for everything. They're like, oh, yeah. what's that? You have a pair of sore knees there, good sir? Have some sleeping pills. A, a nap will take They're trying care of to, it. trying to kill everybody. They're like get, making them all fucking addicts at this point. Good yeah. God. It's bad. Oh. It's really fucking bad. It's not bad. a good light for universal health care, which I am a supporter of. <laughs> oh, yeah. see? But it's not a good drops. light. Eye drops and sleeping pills for everybody. Yeah, Rob yeah. Morphy, 2024. Oh, here go. it is. I know. <laughs> Dr. Rob. 
Absolutely. Both men were prescribed blood circulation medication at one point, and still the doctors could find nothing wrong with them. I mean, at least he went to blood circulation medicine, I guess. <laughs> Eventually he was like, That's... Hey, pills ain't doing it. Yeah, we all yeah, need to circulate. No. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> In the... Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck, man. It needs, <laughs> it, needs it. It fucking needs exactly. it. And you know what else it needs? A good night's sleep. Sleeping pills. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And your eyes. It's nice just, job. it's just good for your heart and eyes. Sleep yeah. and circulation. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's the extent of it. Maybe um, we're throwing the doctors under the bus too quickly here. <laughs> Maybe these guys <laughs> were <laughs> gems. But the thing is, is like, this is not unheard of. Three years before this case happened, you have the Falcon Lake incident with Stefan Mikulak, and he went to the doctors on multiple occasions and they prescribed him similar type, you know, remedies for his problems. Mm. And they believed he was exposed to radiation. Well, at least some people did, despite the fact that he could they couldn't find any evidence of radiation aside aside from, uh, you know, some slightly irradiated clothing. But beyond that. This does not seem to be, you know, uncommon in some cases where negative health right. effects are uh, happening. Yeah. yeah, we talked about Cash Landrum a second ago, and, and you're right, the Falcon Lake incident is classic. There are many of them. And um, Mark and we I just, lately have been, we just did one. Yeah, um, we did. I, I will never say the name right, but the Analima case where uh, the, this gamma radiated uh, UFO with a little occupant apparently affected a man uh, and changed his health so profoundly. Aracesio Bermudez, I think his name was, in Colombia, and this took place in 1969 in the summer. He got closer than anyone else when this thing came down on his property, and it seemed like the occupant was waving him away, like, the fuck out, man, there's, there's something wrong. But yeah. he, he didn't know how to interpret it. And within days, he, you know, it was black vomits. It was all the classic radiation sickness elements, the diarrhea, and he was gone. So from... Cancer, like in Cash Landrum, to burns, like in Falcon Lake, and many other things, to death, as as happens in a, a bunch of other ones. Um, you know, it's it can be scary. It's it's not always the Spielbergian ideal that we want of the cute alien in your back shed or the you know the Great Wyoming Gathering where you get to see a fantastic fucking Fourth of July with little baby creatures giving you back your you know lost in the Bermuda Triangle aviators. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We all wish that we could be in that kind of situation. Definitely the uh, we come in peace kind of uh, scenario, but that doesn't always seem to be the case. Uh, no, we I can't all be Richard Dreyfus. Bastards. Yeah. 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 You it's really all do. fucking Richard Dreyfus's fault. That's yeah, no, you, I mean, everyone deep down wants to <laughs> abandon their family, get on. A yeah, UFO exactly. And say, fuck it, Earth. I'm doing my thing. But yeah, you know. and and how do you do that? You you pull some Colonel Klinger kind of bullshit and start making you know like towers out of uh, exactly fucking your potatoes and shit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you know, in all fairness, she lose Terry Gar, and she was a wonderful, lovely lady and a fine actress to this day. So yes. all right, that's the deficit. But the pro, come on, <clears throat> you're riding in a spaceship, you know, seeing the universe. Hopefully, they're not going to like eviscerate him immediately because you never see what happens after the credits yeah it could go not, it could go yeah. rod serling it could be a cookbook you never well, know you never they know probably... i mean jay allen heineck was there so uh he was know, we got that going oh yeah that's right. i was he thrilled was. to that cameo always yeah. oh <laughs> Yo. that's so awesome one of the best one of the best so you're here in the next issue of flying saucer review the story would evolve a little bit more 
the sound that Arno initially heard sounded like it was coming from far away and then closer and closer. Both men described how they were paralyzed to the spot, but were not afraid. The explosive cloud would gain structure as a classic saucer with three half balls of light on the bottom of it, the center of which consisted of a tube of light, from which the strange self-luminous ring with a black edge would come. Arno spoke of strange dreams in which this object was descending toward him. His friend Esco Vilho looked different in these dreams. He was older and shorter. Whatever this image was, it scared the 36-year-old forestry worker so much that he encouraged his friend not to visit. Their health hadn't improved either. Esco's hands and face would often become red, and he suffered from continuing headaches. Arno described feeling like there was a hot water sloshing around in his stomach, which just sounds so fucking oh. god-awful. Oh, my God. It makes me nauseous to think about it, honestly. Yeah. I can feel it in, in my imagination, and I want to blow. So fucking, yeah. it's, it's yeah, I'm, feel, I'm feeling for these guys. The more you describe this, the more I'm like, what the fuck? And, the, and while anyone's reality would be shattered by seeing something like this to a degree, like you have to, you know, make it out part of your life somehow, like it really seems like the psychological effects, especially on Arno, are profound and detrimental. Definitely. Uh, as the story uh, progresses, you will you will see how it uh, completely affects him. Um, but every time he experienced this sensation in his stomach, it would just cause him to vomit. And his memory had begun to fail him very quickly. His back and his ears hurt, and yet their doctors could still, months later, not find any cause for their illness. Reports from Falkenberg, Sweden, concerning craft with half-ball-shaped lights on them would come in. Similar reports would emerge from other nearby countries as well, but it wouldn't be until the September issue of Flying Saucer Review that the full story of what happened in the Imnyarvi forest would emerge. Word of the men's encounter had begun to get out thanks to an investigation conducted by Sven Olaf Fredriksson, a Swedish investigator, though it was through the work of a Finnish journalist named Bo Alvist that the case would be known. The two men agreed to escort Bo to the site of the incident, and from there, memories of the strange object would come flooding back. The two men blamed their memory loss following their encounter on the object itself. Time lapses around this time were not really unheard of uh, in UFO reports, and in fact, were a prominent feature of Betty and Barney Hills, uh, as well as Herbert Sherber's abduction incidents. Have you ever read the graphic novel that was written about um, Herbert Shermer's incident? It's, I think it's just no. called December, December 3rd, 1967. Get your hands on it. It is fantastic. Oh, phenomenal. yeah. I think I've, I think I saw that actually not that long ago. I was at a comic shop and I think I saw it there. So I just have to definitely pick that up. Anytime you in it's, these classic cases hear about missing time, it always triggers something, especially when it's pre Striberian, for lack of a better term, when it's pre. Uh, even Betty and Barney Hill, um, which is probably a better reference point because that's usually considered the start point that we all know better. The, the idea of missing time in these older cases when they had no context for them whatsoever, anyone who's uh, you know into the subject at all instantly thinks, oh, shit, you know, you know what happened because mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. what happens, you know? 
I tend to feel like we would use um, Antonio V.S. Boas more as as a starting point if he didn't bang an alien on a spacecraft. But you know. <laughs> yeah, that probably made it difficult, <laughs> you know, for you know conservative Midwest papers to fully report that. But yeah, that is a Stone classic case, and it should be more of a starting point anyway. But you've got to at least admire the people that get laid because let's be honest. I mean, if you're going to get abducted, sex doesn't hurt. As long as it's not rape, nothing rapey, nothing proby. But if it's consensual and the guys are always saying like, oh, her eyes were a little too big and her nose was a little too pointed, but she was absolutely lovely because that's obviously guys are much easier to seduce and they're, you know, usually like boss, the ones that are taken on. And you know what? If you're going to at least do that, well, I mean, good on you. I don't know why you're not just taking sperm. I mean, you can fly across the universe or interdimensionally or from deep caverns in the earth or wherever the fuck you come from. I don't know why you need to ride the baloney pony to actually make hybrid babies. It seems like you'd have a better scientific method for that. But because they're maybe old school and just want to, you know, see what it's all about, you know, get earthy with it the way, you know, the Amish go English. Maybe yeah. it's just like cutting loose yeah. and I not mean- like a breeding program. Maybe it's just, hey. Earth guys are fun, whatever. You don't get committed. Yeah. You're in college. You do what you do. I mean, like they came, they came this far, man. You got to do something. I mean, it was called Earth Girls Are Easy, but I think the opposite is true in this case. It's absolutely opposites yeah. are true. <laughs> One of the most interesting ones that uh, I came across uh, when I was just flipping through uh, old issues of Flying Saucer Review. Uh, let me, it, and it was in the Broadhaven School Report issue. This is uh, volume 23, number one, 1977. I read this in a live stream. Let me find the title here for you. It's just so fucking great. It was uh, written by Gordon Creighton. So, you know, the best classic. Yep. Uh, UFO occupants and sex in Colombia. And this guy. <laughs> Uh, his name is, uh, let me see, Liberato Quintero. Oh, he, you know, he's a coxman. You know it. <laughs> oh, he's definitely oh, that man is sure. slinging and fucking bringing a game all the time. Yes. <laughs> his wife was named Brunilda, which is interesting for a Colombian family. But the interesting thing here is that when Gordon Creighton or I, I don't know if I think Gordon Creighton translated this from another. No, it was uh, it was actually Ignacio Darnaude that uh, oh, did the report that did the report on this phenomenal. one. And, uh, yeah. And I think uh, Creighton just presented it. But his wife was talking about how the aliens were such a bitch for doing it. to his husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm of course. Mad. She has every oh, right to boy. be resentful. Every yeah. right. Yeah, no, uh, folks, if uh, if you have not found that issue online, you really should. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, pour one out for Antonio V.S. Boas, uh, Liberato Quintero, Peter Curry, uh, all these folks. Pour one out for them. Even Dave Huggins. Pour one out for him. <laughs> Y'all, definitely Dave Huggins. What oh. up, Dave Huggins? That's, that's my guy right there. I love that documentary. Good yeah. for him. Good it's, for David Huggins. It's no, so I mean, great. I, I want to uh, own one of his paintings, definitely. Definitely. Shout out to uh, Brad a- Abrahams for doing that fucking documentary. It's so great. Um, yeah, man. That was a great, awesome documentary. Really he was on your was. show, right? Yes, he was on much Dude, of the I show. Remember that epi- I remember where I was when I was listening to that episode, as a matter of fact. Uh, <laughs> first, first interview I ever did with anybody. So amazing. The object had approached the two skiers from the north on that January day in 1970. Arno and Esco had stopped briefly for a rest in the chilly evening air. 
The stars were emerging one at a time when a single distant buzzing noise drew closer. Arno Heinen first noticed the sound. That was when Esco Vilho's attention was drawn upward. A powerful light hovered high above the pair of skiers. It was shrouded by cloud, but as it descended, the bottom of the craft came into view. It was separated by three hemispheres. The outermost was home to three half-globes of light, and the center, of course, contained a large tube of light. Descending toward the witnesses, the mist that was cloaking the object slowly dissipated. It hovered just four meters or 13 feet above the ground, just under treetop level. Arno claimed that it was so close he could have touched it with his ski pole. The craft emitted an intense beam of light down at the ground, which created a self-luminous circle with dark edges. The circle started to emit red, green, and violet sparks in arcs as far as three meters or nearly ten feet. A red-gray mist descended upon the forest at the same time, and from the luminous circle, a small disc-like object ascended back up toward the craft. Arno felt as if somebody had seized him by the waist and pulled him back. Through the mist, he and Esco caught sight of a short humanoid creature, 90 centimeters or about three feet tall. Their features were very thin. The nose was hook-shaped. Think Squidward if his nose was a little more rigid. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Their skin was pale blue, but very little of it could actually be seen by the witnesses. The being wore a coverall that was green in color, and its feet were donned in a darker green fabric. The conical hat they wore gave the being a Rankin-Bass, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer elf appearance, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Vivid and absolutely accurate. Their hands, like claws, held tight a black box that appeared to have a lens similar to a camera's. All right, just for a second, can I just fucking say, the fuck? You've got all this super tech classic, uh, uh, you know, ostensibly extraterrestrial technology coming down. You've got orbs and you've got rings and you've got light with dark edges, which is, you know, in physics impossible. You've got mists and exploding clouds and, of course, sparks of multicolored delight shooting everywhere like an erroneous fireworks display. And then you get a fuck-sucking elf. You get a classic, like you said, yeah. Rankin Bass hook nose box camera carrying elf. It is, it is such a convergence of two different paranormal d- disciplines that it can't help but blow your mind. This is gotta be a Pink Floyd performance that just remained in the drafts. It remained <laughs> it in the drafts. They never went uh, forward with it. But it they been ran a test in Finland and things <laughs> went is, awry. So what we actually have here is Sid Barrett coming out and being like, hello, welcome to my musical piece. And he's holding a fucking mother box with yeah. him. So yeah, from the new gods. So oh, this yeah, is Mr. Awesome. Miracle. You know, yeah. people say that it was uh, the drug problem that got him out. This is the incident that really got him this, kicked out of the band. This is the performance where they're like, Sid, we're done. We're sorry. Goodbye. You know, they yeah. managed to put it you. down. They only had two casualties. They were discredited by their own yeah. effect by it. And, and, and so never a word was said. But yeah, no, I think this is clearly a rock and roll conspiracy scandal. And we should yeah. identify it as what it is. Like, l- like, listen, dude, we we were all right with I've got a bike. You can ride it if you like and all that crap. But this <laughs> this is too far. This is too much. A bridge too far. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, we tied it back to Pink Floyd. I love it. Uh, and, but we uh, digress. Yes. 
The creature turned slightly and aimed the box at Arno, and a pulsating light came out of it. Sparks were still flying, as if it were an old-school camera bulb exploding. They fell upon the two skiers, though they never felt the sparks hit their coats. Arno and Esco lost sight of the creature as the mist grew thicker and thicker. Both men claimed to have a good view for approximately 15 seconds. Then the light beam rose from the snow and re-entered the ship. The mist was parted, thrown open like a curtain, and in a flash, the sky was empty and the craft was gone. The physiological effects, though, would remain for months. It was hard for both men to work in the weeks following their encounter. Arno vomited regularly for months, and Esco's skin would regularly turn red. In fact, when the two men led a party of investigators to the area where it happened, their skin would turn red on sight. That's fucked up. That is. Yeah, that's real fucked up. Very, very fucked up. Though some on the skeptical side would cast doubt on the case, Heinonen in later years would claim to have many additional sightings. There were other factors that add validity to their story. In a village 15 kilometers or 9 miles from the encounter, Elna Sitari witnessed a strange light on the day of the two skiers' encounter. In the village of Paso, some 10 kilometers or 6 miles north, an unnamed man witnessed a strange light in the sky around 4.45 that evening as the encounter was taking place. And later that evening, a 16-year-old boy named Mati, who was from Imjarvi, witnessed a strange light not far from where the encounter took place. He was on his way home from a friend's house when the forest lit up around him. A bright light was moving just above the trees. It disappeared quickly to the south a short while later. Ten years after the sighting of the famed Imjarvi humanoid, details of Arno Heinonen's additional sightings would be published in two issues of Flying Saucer Review in 1980. Esco Vilho plays little to no part in the following incidents, and in fact, his friendship with Arno fell through not long after their sightings. According to Arno, the humanoid being that he encountered with Esco in the woods of Imjarvi was sent to inoculate the 36-year-old forestry worker by way of radiation beams. Oh, yeah! Radiation oh, beams! That's that the is, way. Yeah, that's not how you do that. <laughs> that's not good. We're no. humans. We don't respond well to that shit. Uh, Our body does not like it. Humanoid, can you please come down and inoculate the human race? If there was ever a time we need a mass radiation inoculation, it is fucking now. So please... You know, let this cry go out into the universe. Hook some brothers up. It's, it is crazy. I mean, it's crazy, but it's, well, it's crazy because we think of it in practical terms, but who the fudge knows? I mean, who really knows what is going on with Arno's perception of it? I mean, or, or maybe it just really tilted his mind so severely that I, I don't know. It's hard to say, but I, I always hate myself for having that gut instinct to say something's batshit crazy, even when it seems like it. Because then I think to myself, how many times have men of logic, learned academics said the same thing only to look foolish 10 to 50 to a century to a millennia later. And, and, and we know that they were literally those people that were blinded by whatever rules they were familiar with at the time. So I feel like a hypocrite when I say it, but I can't help but to say the fuck. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, just thinking about it. Goddamn aliens and their bullshit. I just, mm, 
why? <laughs> why? Why? Why radiation? Like why? Why? Y- y- it's not good no. for anybody. No, ever. like uh, I remember watching <clears throat> The Martian, and I remember Matt Damon saying you shouldn't dig up the radioactive isotope. He did it for heat, but like d- leave the radioactivity at home, folks. <laughs> yeah, just, just for- keep it on your planet or whatever. Like I'm, I'm done with it. Like. Yeah, I'm sorry, enough, but the closest uh, the nuclear plant to us, well, to me, was shut down like uh, I don't know years ago. It was in Vermont, but no, like just just no. stop it. Yeah, it's not good. No, it's yeah, I mean, I, I get it's cheap energy, but when it goes awry, it's a no, not even no man's land. It's a no life land for yeah. centuries. Yeah, geez, Louise, we got you know what's wrong with wind. Come on, like, solar. Let's panel it up. Like it's <laughs> it's instance like this that literally cre- create no man no man land. Like that's what they are. They are no man. They can't be anyway. They are the no man land. Like, Absolutely. It's yeah. It's bad. It's it's so goddamn bad. Oh, and it's this li- is where Rob Morphy show. starts to try to sell us renewable energy. So let, <laughs> yeah, let me, exactly. Uh, <laughs> no, let me let me let me go old school and tell you a little something about whale oil. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the there you go. Stand by. Wait, wait. The stable uh, massacre of our fellow mammals to feed our energy just needs. Come burn, on, folks. Look at, just take a couple of white owls and burn them. It'll keep your house warm. Oh my fine. god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, um, now that's a bridge too fucking far. Oh, sorry. Rob, Not I the owl, be... son. I think we need you to talk about how plants have feelings like right now. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. If you need it, I will go yeah. at length. The emotional yeah, you know depth of a fern will fucking rend your heart. Don't if make they me. Will, if I can turn them into electricity, I'll like them. You stop that. Our green <laughs> friends need our help. Not our fucking condescension, Mr. Stores. Anyway, continuing on right, with yes. Robert Christopherson. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy would be proud, Rob. He would definitely be proud. <laughs> One of these God. days, the pod will come out and all will know. Yes, Boom. all will have to know. Oh, uh, boy. The act allegedly implanted an alien device in his back, as he put it, and, quote, became part of his body. Oh, boy. <laughs> this fucking there blue beetle all of a sudden? Yeah. Oh, the, that is all a right. deep pull. God bless you. It is supposed to be some kind of transmitter receiver. Arno claims that a similar device was implanted in Esco's forehead, but the aliens have, quote, put him aside. Okay. Oh, man. No wonder they're not buddies anymore. That's Yeah, really? That's a tough indictment there. Aliens, nah, you're, you're not good enough. Me? No. Yeah. No, no. You, you have been cast aside. Your aspersions have been taken wholeheartedly, and you are done, <laughs> sir. I said good day, sir. I said good day, sir. Good day. Esco actually lucked out because the one that's put aside by the aliens is the one that, he gets to keep farming and, and skiing or doing whatever he can do with his bright red skin. He doesn't have to deal with the madness. So, you know, sometimes when you get dumped, it hurts, but it's for the best. He might have dodged a bullet. At least you got to see that motherfucker with the pointy hat that was taking pictures, you know? At least here, you here. got that. Yeah. Uh, according to an article written by Anders Lilligren, quote, Arno further wrote that he has been given extrasensory powers by his humanoid friends. Once yes. he received knowledge about a burglary and he sensed who was the guilty one, he told the police who caught the thief. <laughs> Oh, oh no, dude! He's turning into like a passive Judge Dread, where like, he knows <laughs> the deal. Like, 
He's not killing anyone or putting him in an ISO cube, but I mean, I am just filled with comic book references tonight. God wow. bless you. Or he's just randomly pointing to some dude he doesn't care for, and the lazy ass police are like, "Yeah, I guess we got the thief." Arno said so. He's oh, got yeah. the thing in his back. He knows. <laughs> there it is. Arno, yeah. well, honorary detective for at least a day. You know, just oh. out here nabbing motherfuckers. He is the judgment of God. He, he is, is. I mean, honestly, you know what? I'll yeah. do one better. He is the Robert Stack of Finland, and you cannot fuck around. He will terrify you with theme music. He will intimidate you with his voice, and he will find the fucking thief. He will. Wow. He there he will go. totally fucking find it, and you will question the entire time whether that man was an actual fucking ghost on the fucking screen or a human being. <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I uh, that is the one thought I had about that man my entire childhood. Is he an actual ghost? Do they are they <laughs> do, do they somehow have a ghost hosting a TV show? I need to know. The man has such a grave demeanor. Uh that was the thing. Is like I'm Robert Stack. When I I, I see stacks. <laughs> when I interviewed John Tenney, that was one of the things that I had to fucking put us I, I had to settle right then. I was like John, is he really like that in real life? Is he like, he's like, oh yeah, he's totally like that. (laughs) No, that man is stoic as shit. He's like three Robert Duvalls and he will never, ever break. I mean, he's gone now, but he's still rigid in the afterlife and you know it. He's almost laconic, except he's always talking. He's the kind of guy that can keep talking and make you think he's a man of few words. He's sturdy. He scares me. You just, uh, to circle back again, you just described a tree. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. He's a sentient tree. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Birch stack. Oh, it's going to go into the Lord of the Rings pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, you know, shit. total, total oh, end. No. Total end. Yeah. Oh God! That's we've hilarious. we've fucking we've fucking put the nail in the coffin on this one, boys. We know what's yeah. happening. There it is. All right. Man, so this guy is just pointing out robbers being his own judge jury here. So, all right. I mean, I that's it. what happens when you get Arno's the power, slowly I slowly becoming my favorite human being. <laughs> I mean, if, as long as things continue in this trajectory, that man is fucking aces in my book. I kind of hope that, he, you know, before he died, he at least dressed up as this, like, short humanoid guy shooting him with, uh, you know, radioactive beams for Halloween at least one year. I hope. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you have to. Embrace yeah. it. Yeah, fully, totally. I can see him putting a hook nose on himself made out of like cardboard or something. That'd be great. It's <laughs> <laughs> a paper mache. Yeah, so great. <clears throat> so great. In the years following his alien encounter, Arno Heinen claimed to have over 23 additional sightings, including interactions with UFO occupants. Yeah, it's quite a bit. On May 5th, 1972, and these are in Arno's own words, Quote, I heard three sound signals, as he calls them, and then an unknown woman's voice asking me to come to a meeting place behind a red barn near the crossroads to Jala and Viokoski. Um, I totally slipped on some of these pronunciations, but you know, I'm going to say this right now. I'm just I am. Gonna, I, I know your audience might be frustrated with digression and God bless you. I apologize. But I got to say this. You have been a master of pronunciation. I yeah, I'm not used. I am not them. used. I, I, I feel like I'm on vacation. I'm not used to this level of pronunciation personally. Well, I'm like, I feel amazing. that as a personal dig and you can eat it. Mark stores. Thank you. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I'm just enjoying my time here. Oh, watching with a professional. Yeah, watching someone who knows how to do their business work. No, I get it. Yeah, Uncle Amateur Hour over here. Again, suck it, sir. <laughs> but I fair, apologize, I Mr. Christofferson. We are sullying your show. No. I will raise you two suckets. <laughs> Uh, oh, um, I fold. I fold. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I call right now. I, I was to come on my own, and I was not allowed to bring my camera or my tape recorder. The woman's voice sounded high pitched and strained. I went to this place on my motor scooter. It was ten fifteen in the evening. As I arrived behind the barn, I saw a woman clad in a bright yellow trouser suit and wearing long hair down to her shoulders. Her hair was yellow and the ends bent upward. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Crimping. This, you know, just a curler. Yeah. No big deal. Her dress was close fitting and glittered when she moved, which is fucking oh. dope as shit. I, I kind of want to I want to glitter when I fucking move. But, Absolutely. you know, <laughs> don't we all? Yeah, Everyone should have glitter clothes, flying cars and moving sidewalks. Now, I don't get it. It's 2021. This is BS. On her feet, she wore silvery shoes with red rosettes. In her left hand, she held something that looked like a ball, silver in color, and connected to a rod which she held in her hand. On the ball were three antennae, each about 30 centimeters or about a foot long, and each of which pointed towards me. Oh boy. Uh, I was not afraid, but went oh, quickly oh. towards her. She I came know. towards me, put out her hand, and said... How do you do in Finnish? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I took her hand. It felt soft and cool. Then she took two steps back. And at that moment, I noticed another figure, a man standing immovable some 70 meters or about 230 feet away. He, too, was wearing yellow clothing. So, like, this is curious, George. We got the man in the, yeah, the yellow hat. <laughs> yeah, really. Just making sure the monkeys are okay, man. He did good. I mean, maybe uh, he shouldn't have taken a monkey from its home and stolen it and made it live in this. All right, so maybe the man in the yellow hat is the villain, but that's not the goddamn point. Yeah. The oh, um, point God. is he's here for the UFO incident. So yeah, no, this is definitely the man in the yellow hat. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that again. Uh he too was wearing yellow clothing, somewhat lighter in color, and had some sort of hat on his head. This is definitely is. man in the yellow hat. A hundred percent. I think we just explained all the hat man phenomenon. He's a tulpa from a children's book that's looking to steal your monkey. Yeah. Amen. There you go. Son of a bitch. <laughs> does he not realize that most people do not have monkeys there are very few people that own monkeys i have been shamed for years for wanting to own a monkey i almost did own a monkey and i've been shamed for it um, dude speaking of off, uh uh tiktok there mark chuckers yeah oh tiktok speaking of tiktok mark there is one guy that does own a monkey that people send him gifts <gasps> oh see i could have had gifts <sighs> yeah God damn it yeah, i know I know. See, no, no, Robin Christian. So you want the Here man with the yellow hat to show up 230 feet away, 70 meters for yeah. our metric friends. And you yep. want him to just fucking steal your monkey, your shit throwing, disease ridden, stolen from its home monkey. God wow. damn it, Mark. Okay. Well, I'm, I guess I'm wrong here. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I continue to be shamed. Fine. Continues to be shamed. And this is unfortunate. <laughs> No, so it's been going on for a long time. To be shamed. Yeah. No, the last bastion of shame, you know, is monkey owners. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's just yeah, shameful. Well, there it is. God uh, damn it. It was so dark. 
I was unable to see him clearly though, but we know man we in know the yellow the hat was there. Clear. He was there. We've, that's one part of the mystery we've solved tonight, period. I asked the woman where she had come from. I called her Miss since I couldn't see a ring on her finger. <laughs> so so gentlemanly. It is. She responded, we come from the other side of the galaxy, from a pleasant green land. Oh, Oz. <laughs> oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Like, I assume that's what we're alluding to. There's got to be a yellow brick road. Uh, oh, the yellow is, is, is you know, giving Lollipop Guild and, of yep. course, flying monkeys that Mark wants to fucking own in his home with children, yeah. regardless of the fact that they have faces that will get ripped off. Yeah, I, I'm no longer. I I I'm, I don't. I don't own a monkey. I'm not going to because you keep shaming me. You and Chris both. It's yeah, fine. well, it's what we shame. do. You know, we protect you from your own worst instincts. We protect you from bears. <laughs> yeah, we, we try. You from, well, we're trying. We're trying. Mark, Mark, I want to get through to you. Okay, uh, we're we're taking a moment here. Mark, I want to get through to you. Do okay. not feed the bears. The bears are <laughs> no, not I your don't. friends. I, they are no. not your friends. Do not go I actually and... No. I, no. I do a good job of chastising people that leave their food. I'm like, oh, that bear's gonna get it. Oh, look what got your food. I don't feed the bears. My wife, well, I, I fed a raccoon recently. Okay. Uh, another uh, an intervention within the intervention, <laughs> yeah. Mark. Do yeah. not feed the raccoons. They will become the, a blight around your household. That's true. The raccoons and, and, the, in the Adirondacks, the raccoons were, in fact, a problem. The bears, though, I, I I tell everyone, don't leave your food out. I'm like a, I'm like I'm I'm the local drunk cult leader looking dude that shows up. I'm like, yeah, better watch your yeah, food. Yeah, and, and, and then you go chase them down. Yeah, you act like you're the sage, the wise bearded one that tells them all not to leave food out. <laughs> then you go out and hug a cub and wonder why the mom gets mad. And I will also say this about raccoons: <laughs> raccoons <laughs> are a gateway drug to bears. Yeah, so they cut are. Cut it the no, fuck out. They are. All right, like. Uh, I'm sorry, but you know, raccoons, they're the marijuana of the animal world. (laughs) (laughs) They're a class one animal feeding felony, dude. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh God. I I, I I mean, learned something here. And the thing is, is like, you got the munchies. You're going to dive in that dumpster. You know, you are Mark. You are familiar with the dumpster. My friend, we know (laughs) this. It all comes full circle. I'm secretly a raccoon. God damn it. (laughs) I'm a raccoon man. Oh, you son of a bitch. Oh, it's like a breakthrough. My therapist, I got to tell her about this quickly. We need. I figured out my problem. We need the Soundgarden parody (laughs) of Spoon Man for Mark here. We need Raccoon Man. Oh, God, yes. This is why I have abandonment issues. I knew it. I will hug you until you feel right. I yeah. am soft and strong. Let me be. Let me be your spirit oh, animal. Rob's your busting security out. puppy. Yeah, Rob's oh, busting out the hug therapy. It's. I will. It's, I'll do right, it. I'm, I'm here for I love it. you, and I need you I, to be okay with you. Because yep, raccoon okay. or not, you're one of the best, buddy. <laughs> he, he's got a point. You are, and uh, oh, let me God. tell you, nobody needs to be living that feral life, Mark. No, I know. I need to come back. You I need really to come do. back your to civilization, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> These people came from across how many oh. they came across the galaxy, right? From a green area. Yes. Pleasant green area. Yeah, from a green area. It, all yes. right, yeah. Well, clearly <laughs> green area. All right, we're getting too deep. Mark needs time to process. We should probably get back to the story. Yes, yes we should. Um, oh, um she, she then she told me that three different species of humanoids had visited him, Yarvi. First of all, small beings, then people like her, height about 140 centimeters or four and a half feet. And finally, a tall race, almost two meters or six and a half feet in height. Wow. 
She oh. told me that the small humanoids visit at Imyarvi in 1970 had lasted for three minutes. Oh. Well, oh. we had thought it had only been for a few seconds. So oh, we got some missing time, time be condensed to minutes. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how much abduction you can get going in like two minutes and 37 seconds, but maybe a little something, something. Maybe. Could be. Maybe. Something was in the air that night in MRV. Phil Collins wrote a song about yes, it. Absolutely. He did. <laughs> we all know it's, the... a, it's the classic MRV anthem. We know. I just did the, the whole drum solo in my head. So. Yeah. Of course you did. Phil Collins <laughs> is a fucking phenomenal gift to our ears, and I love his work. And he's a phenomenal drummer as well. Yeah, he is. Uh, the I, only I love thing... his solo work. Uh, the only thing I will say that uh, the, he gave us in the 80s that uh, I think turned out to be a bust was those big drums. Uh, we don't use those anymore. <laughs> no, yeah. those are not very usable. No, no. <laughs> at all. No, no. Good, good luck tuning those. Uh, the, those uh, that, that drum sound in the 80s, that was all Phil Collins' fault. <laughs> Yeah, you need <laughs> seven people to tune one tom. Yeah, there you go. yeah, I know. It's, it's it had ridiculous. its place in history, friends. It yeah. had its place. Listen, nobody could afford that many roadies. All right, nobody. <laughs> There's no way. He Even sold his That's three tour buses of roadies. Yeah. No one's got that budget. Nobody's oh, got not that even budget. Phil Collins. No, not even Phil Collins. The record label is not paying for it. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, the woman also said her age was 180, although she had the looks of a 20-year-old girl. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Bless her. Yep. Okay. This was the first time Arno had met with this woman, but there would be many more meetings throughout 1972. On June 18th, he received instructions to meet her at another crossroads that led him to a path in the woods where he met the woman who was alone this time. There was no man in the yellow hat. They discussed the similar was things. Gone. He found yeah. the fucking monkey. He's out. Monkey had fucking taken off. <laughs> they discussed similar things that they did upon their first meeting. The nameless woman then told Arno to go home, where he would see the craft that they had arrived in. Quote, Some 150 meters or 500 feet from my home, I caught sight of the craft. It was low, maybe at an altitude of 100 meters or 300 feet. It wobbled and stopped moving and hovered above me. I drew up on my scooter and watched it from below. There were no lights from the silver disc-shaped object and neither windows nor portholes. Its diameter was some 5 to 7 meters or 16 to 22 feet. After a while, it rose swiftly into the sky. On both occasions... I had had discussions for about five minutes with the woman. She spoke very quickly, and her voice sounded tense. Her words, however, came from her mouth. Thanks for that info there. (laughs) That's a nice touch. I mean, there's so much fucking telepathy and alien interactions that every now and again you want to say, hey, you know where the words came from? Her left armpit. Yeah, they they just came from her mouth. Yeah, Um, oh. The, the next sentence, though, is, is also another banger. I could see her teeth, which were twice as wide as those of ordinary human beings. Oh, is that a deal breaker, though? Yeah, no. but is it a deal breaker? Come no, on. There's big... a chick. You're behind a barn. She got wide teeth. You're like, she's still kind of No, cute. I don't know about that. I'm not that judgmental. I mean, you're 180. You look 20. You seem really nice. You got big teeth. 
big, big whips. Also, I got to say, even though we mentioned him earlier, the old Carl Higdon case of uh, October 25th, 74, I think. I don't know why I know that date. Had also won the yellow skin drill bit hand intended straw haired fucking crazy alien that stole him and the Elks. He also is described as having teeth like humans, but twice right. the size. So there's oh. a, at least some sort of history, perhaps lineage of the large toothed humanoid okay. visiting Earthlings. And but that's I mean, my Uncle like, Rob moment. Yeah, that is Uncle Rob's moment right there. But I, I also like to point out that the, from the art that I've seen, he does look like a cross between uh, a Mega Man villain, a Mega Man boss. Um, mm-hmm. A piece of celery and Napoleon Dynamite. That is like <laughs> the ultimate combination. <laughs> that is so fucking apt. Yes. It I've is. drawn really him is. and he is exactly what you say. It's he hilarious. really is. Yeah. All right. So we got this big, big tooth woman here. I mean, who is uh, probably still lovely. And let's, you know, let's not forget about personality, judgy. All right. I'm okay with her big teeth. I think it's cool. All right. Good. I guess we're she on the same page. steak. Whatever. Ponderosa, baby. We're going there for dinner. Oh, that would be a terrible first date. That is the first date that does not end with a second date. No. <laughs> well, you know. Listen, yeah. we, we all we're all nostalgic for Ponderosa, okay? <laughs> like that's just how it is. <laughs> no, I, I know. I like my fake meat, my my rubber steak and my lies in my mouth, but uh listen, they had <sighs> some pretty fucking good chicken wings and that mac and cheese wasn't bad. Oh exactly. god damn it. Thank you. All right, Thank you, right. Rob Christofferson. The mac and cheese was glorious. Yes. yes. Oh, man, Hands we had down. a lot of Ponderosa references. God damn it. Now I'm missing ago. it too. Fuck. Well, R.I.P. Pondo. I know. Right. I know. It's, it's let's, fuck. all right, let's move let's move on. God damn it. <laughs> Her face and hands were very fair skinned, and she was extremely beautiful. Her nose somewhat pointed. She was some 140 centimeters or four and a half feet tall and wore a two-piece dress with a high polo neck type of collar. Her shoes were not connected to her trousers. What? Okay. Okay. <laughs> what is that a problem? Is that the common thing? It's like, interestingly, her shoes weren't Dude, connected to her trousers. If my pants were connected to my shoes, what a pain in the ass my life would be. Oh. <laughs> like, I never even liked, like, back in the 80s and 90s when the girls I knew wore fucking stirrup leggings where they just, like, looped around their foot as if somehow their pants would escape if they didn't trap them. I yeah. just, I never understood that. But shoes connected, I mean, unless, again, you're in a fucking hazmat suit or some true situation of danger, I see no reason why that should happen. No. Yeah, no, no. I, I agree. And or like, feety pajamas. Yeah, but like the yeah. the way that he's describing this, like I can see the dress in my head. This is almost like some Marilyn Monroe kind of shit going oh, on vintage. here. And then he ruins it by saying the shoes were not connected to her trousers. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. The fuck, dude. And the words came out of her mouth. You're a master of delivering these tiny tidbits of details we never could have imagined. Well done, yeah. Armo. Well yes. done. Yes. Yes. Very well done. She had large eyes, which were perfectly blue. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is nice. Yeah. Okay. This is some for my taste, but whatever. yeah, I was gonna. I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> oh no! Is she a fucking Nazi or something? Not well, every I mean, blonde, blue eyes, a Nazi. I didn't go there completely. I you just, didn't go there, but like I we intimated. were all. We all read. <laughs> we were reading each <laughs> we other's all minds. Went. <laughs> we all yeah, went we there, like, oh no. Yeah. Uh, oh, like Maria Orso that. or whatever that Nazi occultist woman was. 
oh, who was Jesus lovely Christ, to look yeah. at, but ideologically, it kills the boner. Yeah, no, don't it, don't be a Nazi. That's like boner. that's kills the worst the thing for my erection <laughs> to find out you're a Nazi. Yeah, that'll <sighs> do it. That'll kill it. There don't waste go. pretty Done. on Nazi. There, I'm officially putting a content warning at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, we apo- to the regular uh, fans of of Mr. Christopherson, who is a brilliant orator and a phenomenal researcher, we apologize in advance. This is not him. This is us. This is the you know the bags from Krypton not bringing it down. So it, forgive yeah. him. I'm just gonna say this outright right now. If you're going to leave me one star reviews because we swore and shit like this, I don't. Just don't save save the fucking words. Okay. You know what? Just uh, let me it. take this one. Let me take this one. Leave the one star reviews for us because we're the ones that are, you you get off of his <laughs> poor podcast, you come Thanks, to Kryptonaut and you give us that review. No, he shouldn't have to suffer because of us being dirtbags on his lovely, uh, well composed program. That's well, just not fair. Also, this will be can I add, released. Can I add so one we thing? All be getting one star. Also, please don't give us one stars. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have to, if you have to, if if you're so outraged by the fact that Nazis don't give me boners and then look in the mirror, Jesus if you're so outraged by that, then give it to us. Uh, oh, Rob, you just keep digging that. Listen, hole times deeper. are times are tough out here for for podcasters. Don't give us one star not, reviews. We can't not, handle yeah, it. Yeah, it is. We can't. Yeah, it's like not easy. You know what? We mask up. We're we're not going into stores making a scene. We're doing we're composed doing here. Just because yeah. Rob has to tell us, and rightfully so, that Nazis do not give him boners. <laughs> and it's a fact. It's I a can't argue with fact. facts. And you know what? Uh, I'm gonna go out and say they don't give me boners either. Okay. Well, oh thank no, you I for agree with, too. with me. <laughs> thank you, Rob. Fine. I'm standing with you. Okay, yeah. I'm standing with you both. Yeah. Fine. Oh. We're boner free in fucking Nazi Germany. There, there it is. There it is. Oh, let's, you know, you know what we are? We're flaccid for fascism and yeah. we're proud of it. <laughs> That's our new bumper sticker. Flaccid there it is. Flaccid for fascism. Oh, what the fuck? Oh, All right. God. There it is. Oh, shit. All right. Well, let's yeah, we try and we, we just. Let's try and steer this plane away from the mountains. Let's get away from the mountains. And uh, we're going (laughs) to, we're pulling up. We're pulling up. Uh, (laughs) During both meetings, she held the same silvery ball like object in her hand. No sound came from it. Her method of departure was very odd. She seemed to float away and disappear. Her gait was stiff and her knees did not bend. Hmm. That does happen a lot. The non-bendy yeah. knee extraterrestrial humanoid. And here's the thing. She has a gait while she's floating. So does that mean she's literally walking on air? Maybe. It has to be. Because I don't know how. So and, and you wouldn't even notice if the knees bent, if she just was floating in the sitting position like some Roman goddess. Yeah. So she must have like stood up on air and then done this, you know, the silver man robot walk. Oh, yeah. the, you know, in the in the sky. Oh, Which yeah. is crazy, but common in a weird way. No, yeah, it, it, it is. There's uh, one abduction account that I have uh, read that I briefly mentioned to you guys before we started recording. And the woman described how she was floated toward the object, the UFO. But it was as if she was on a treadmill made of light and she was oh, just floating there. Yeah. What a great, what a great analogy. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh yeah, we got we've got tons of great analogies, you know, from Nazis not giving us boners to um 
the man in the yellow hat. You know, like exactly. this episode from has children's it books. All. It, is, it literally is. We're like an Indian horror film. You're going to get gut laughs. You're going to get drama. You're going to get songs and you're going to get a vampire with three weird teeth. It yeah. is going to be perfect. <laughs> and I yep. love those movies. Yeah. No, Thank they, you. They are so uh, fucking great. Uh, the Ramsey brothers. <laughs> yeah. One week later, Esco was visiting his friend when at 7.40 p.m., a male figure, the same size as the woman he had been talking to, appeared in Arno's kitchen. The being took two steps from the brick walls and stood in the middle of the floor. It wore a gray suit with white stripes, though for some unknown reason, they could not see the being's face. It's unclear if the being had its back to them or if it was faceless, like you got some, you know... Sketchy reporting. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a little sketchy reporting. But the being stood there for approximately 30 seconds before it took two steps back toward the wall and disappeared behind the oven. Oh, man. <laughs> As it wants to do, apparently. Weird. Yep. Yeah, but at least uh, there's a witness. I don't know who the friend was, and he probably remained anonymous. But well, no, it's this is Esco and Arno. This is Esco and Arno right now. Oh, oh, oh um, okay. yeah. So uh, definitely. So Esco shady. actually participated, albeit very slightly, in Arno's unfolding, if not nightmare, at least fucking acid trip reality. Yeah. No, he he went. Okay. He definitely endured the Sid Barrett years. Definitely. <laughs> he was there. Yes. He was okay. doing it. Yep. Uh, shortly after disappearing, both men distinctly heard two thuds, and the whole uh, and the whole room was light by an intense bright light, which seemed to move in a wave-like pattern. Oh shit! You don't get to see that. No, not with our human eyes. We can't nope. see the wa- the wavy light. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. In an earlier incident from 1972, Arno met a man in Heinola in March of that year. He handed the experiencer a green pen and promptly floated away. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. You know, that I can't help but think of uh, Mary Hired in Point Pleasant during the Mothman flap. Oh, God. And that with weirdo the pen, with yeah. the bowl cut and the thick yeah. glasses who was four and a yeah. half feet tall. And he yeah. and he just kept looking at the pen. Finally, she's like, you can take the pen. And he's like, hee hee. Like, Rumpelstiltskin yeah. right stealing away. your yeah. baby. Yeah. And he took yeah. off. Yeah, no, that giggly motherfucker. He's like, I never had a pen before. <laughs> this is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to trade these for Pokemon cards. How fucking funny. <laughs> Are pens like the most valuable thing? Are they the height of human achievement and we just don't know it? Like, think, oh my God, the ink flows. It's easy to write. Yeah, we're, we, we're, we're, using it, charcoal. Like, we're flying around the cosmos with hunks of charcoal, yeah. carving it on fucking, you know, sheepskin. And these guys got paper and pens. They're getting I mean, so look, worked up. Look at, and you know what? You know who's using pencils now? Kids and carpenters. That's it. That's, that's it. That's the whole caboodle. <laughs> it is. Yep. Well, uh, let's throw artists in there too, to a degree. Uh, that's that's it's, fair. That's but that's it. That's yeah. literally the threesome. Pens are, or pencils, pretty much a dead issue. And, and you you had to make it a threesome, didn't you? You you had to. Well, come on, oh, come, come on, on. It's Rob. He, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. Guys. no, that's, that's, it, fair. It, that's fair. As long, you, as long as you don't throw a Nazi in there, yeah, the carpenter. No. Well, not the kids. No, forget it. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up! I was waiting for you oh. to fucking put yourself in the corner, and, and you then I found the it. kids with their fucking pencils, and I'm like, "We're not doing this." 
God did damn it. it. You did it to yourself. No, you I did it to you yourself. Do it. <laughs> Shut up, Mark Stores. <laughs> I'm going to drink my shame away right now. Oh, God. Holy shit. Oh, it's man. It's not a threesome. Rob, okay? <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about. No. Pencils are a wholesome writing implement. A wholesome God-given writing implement. No, and I no, Rob, you fucking, you threw that out the window when you, you, you said threesome. No, you said threesome, sir. No, I just went you along. said it. No, oh, shut up. I don't know who said it. Whoever said it, God damn it. It was you. Just, <laughs> probably. Either way, I take it back. I strike it from the record. Nope. No, I'm the one editing this, so. <laughs> <laughs> the power of the Oh, edit. yes, it's true. All right. I'll, hey, I live oh. with your discretion, my friend. Yeah, yeah it's oh, all good. God, it's God all damn good. it. Oh, <laughs> now a shower. Is now the wait to the end of the pod. Arno later entrusted a UFO researcher with the pen. We don't know who and no other word about this pen has ever been discussed ever oh see that sucks because at least the dude with the pancakes that tasted like shit after he gave the aliens a jug of water at least he had a pancake to give to science where they said you know it's common wheat and whatever the fuck else but at least he gave it to science yeah Yeah. like you know joe simonton had the forethought to say i'm only going to eat one of these not that I thought, I, yes, not that exactly. I thought he was going to eat all three because he's, you know, claimed they taste like cardboard. But I don't know. Maybe the man enjoyed cardboard. Maybe Wait, can he you, was lying can about you imagine it. if they were really tasty and then fucking science got no, no crackhead? He's like, oh. God damn, these are good. Cinnamony and delicious. Maybe a hint of nutmeg. What kind of pancakes are these? And they're gone. And science yeah. never knows that they were just shitty pancakes and it proved nothing. Uh, I remember reading uh, an article from i don't know maybe a few years ago and i think they were doing an interview with robert friend one of the uh heads of project blue book and i believe he was the guy that uh, went to investigate joe simonton's space pancakes but uh for a while in a museum in wright patterson air force base there was a chunk of the pancake on display so really oh no shit wow that's fascinating and, uh, of course, we know uh, that incident inspired John Tenney to write uh, an electronic album called Knobby Tires on a Wet Pavement. And you should all go and listen to that. It's on Bandcamp. It's incredible. Go listen to it. I didn't know about this. I need to check. Yeah, it no, out. not at all. That's an <laughs> yep. absolute excellent uh, introduction. I can't wait to hear this shit. Yeah, no, so great. So great. So oh, that's awesome. According to Arno. The beings are highly educated and are about five to 7,000 years more advanced than we are. They claim that the last ice age was caused by human beings destroying their environment with pollution. It was then, (laughs) then that the humanoids guided sunbeams in another direction, creating cold and darkness on the planet, essentially initiating a hard reset on Earth. Those oh, rat man. bastards. Yes. <laughs> Sons just, of bitches. They yeah. just rebooted the phone. They're oh. like, they got their iPhone. They held the button combination and rebooted it. Wow. Yeah. That's um, tough. That's harsh. They, All right, they, well. they, fuck, man. They did the hard delete on the Neanderthals. And I'm not cool about that. I, no. I dig, I dig them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I wow. mean, for a lot of us, they're at least 2% of our genetic ancestry. Come on. They made us hardy enough to survive European winters the fuck aliens it is not your place 
That is well, not your job to divert yeah, our they, uh, God-given they sunlight. Exactly. Exactly. On September 4th, 1972, Arno was driving his motor scooter around at 6.45 p.m. when he noticed that he was being followed by a small cloud. Oh, shit. <laughs> the cloud would eventually pass him, and that's when he said he could see two feet coming from the bottom of it. <laughs> <laughs> the best. It was the alien woman, and she floated down from her cloud craft and toward Arno. Quote, don't be afraid. I am your friend from another planet. We have met before, she said <laughs> oh, to the man. I, I, I also talk from my mouth. Yes. My she shoes are about? absolutely independent of my trousers. We've met. <laughs> After a short interaction, she floated back up to her cloud where they both disappeared. Oh, oh shit. So she took Arno with her? No, no. Her and the cloud both disappeared. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Oh, Thank you like for this... explaining, Rob. Oh, yeah. No, God, that was my bad this is writing. What... But... <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know, man. We, might attribute, we could probably attribute this to alcoholism, I think, at this point. Well, yeah. <laughs> like Rob's Most like, of this. <laughs> All right, so man. there's a lot of vodka involved. But I will there's, say there's also uh... vitamin C and strawberries for ice cubes. Again, a tip for podcasters. If you want to uh... drink something with ice and you don't want it to clink, frozen strawberries. It's fucking strawberries. You know, silent and delicious. Yourself they become infused favor. with the alcohol goodness. Mark's going to disclaim this, but I'm just saying, if you're of age and you want a podcast and you don't want clinking glass, boom. Find an AA meeting, man. It would help. Oh, I'm saying. sir. To, I, I'm saying. We've been friends too long for you to cast that aspersion on me, buddy. <laughs> As I'm six Bud Lights deep. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I can, we, we, you know what, Rob? We can smell our own. It's fine. Yeah, that's right. We'll take care of each other in our old, infirmed, alcoholic age. <laughs> there you go. All right. December would bring about another encounter with the notorious woman, and this time there would be physical evidence. Oh. Arno was walking to a friend's house through the woods this time at 5.30 p.m. and spotted a strange object with a red couple of descending in his direction this time arno feared for his life and ran the rest of the way to his friend's house is that like when, a house like i know it's a like a pointed top right i'm not 100 it's a, sure. it's it a some... rounded it's a rounded top like okay uh, I, I think he's basically just describing like a classic flying saucer with the dome on it got it perfect because i'm thinking like some baba yaga shit floating in the cloud oh, like dear God, the house that moves yaga's on its own if Baga, if Baba Yaga's floating towards me, uh, I am oh. going to stop existing. Yeah, I, I run so poorly that probably suicide's the only option because I can't have those <laughs> chicken leg motherfucking houses ch- running at me with a witch inside. No, no. I, I, I mean, she's already got a hut that can walk on legs. I don't need that kind of shit in my life. Mm. I don't yeah, need that. Go. No, zero. Zero tolerance for Baba Yaga and chicken legs. Yeah. Zero. Oh zero. When Arno arrived, he immediately told his friend of what he had seen. His friend did not believe him, though. Understandably. Two hours later, he left the man's house. At the same spot of the earlier incident, a great wind started to blow through the trees in his direction. It was a wind with a purpose. Oh, yes. 
<laughs> he was paralyzed to the spot. And that was when he spotted the woman emerge from a group of nearby pine trees. Quote, my friend, why did you run away? I wished you no harm and you haven't done me any harm either. End quote. By this time, it was dark, but he could see the outline of the woman's body as her clothing gave off a phosphorescent glow. She was wearing a dress this time and appeared to be floating in front of him. Arno had a camera with him this time, though he was never able to take any photos as the woman took it away from him. (laughs) (laughs) Give me that camera. She asked him if he had taken any pictures, but before he got the chance to respond, she dropped something on the forest floor. As Arno bent down to pick it up, the woman and the camera had disappeared. Oh, no. Hot damn. The object was an egg-shaped stone, white on the ends and deeply engraved with a T-like symbol. Arno believed that this stone had strange powers, and he held on to it. One night, he woke up and gripped the stone. He wished the humanoids would come to him, and in response, a light the size of Arno's fist floated into his bedroom and then disappeared up his chimney. Oh, shit. Okay. I mean, that's dope. I guess, if not a little terrifying. <laughs> you know, but that's you asked like, for it. I mean, you called him. That's some, like, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge kind of shit just Oh, happening. absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm getting. Visited by three orbs in the night. Buy yep. that turkey, Tiny Tim. Yep. Do your job. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the ramblings of a madman. Get off, that turkey, Tiny Tim. Do your job. <laughs> D- Dickensian references are exactly what you expect me to bring to the table. Yeah. Oh, God. So this is All ridiculous. Right. I'm being impugned this way. Oh, I, I Listen. Rob, you're you're walking the same path as Arno right now. You are on the same fucking road. <laughs> you are, yeah. Dude, I'm in love with bears, and you're over here being Arno. So, oh yeah. Ever since go. we did a six part fucking eleven hour, uh, like a hundred and ten was... page Mothman. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I slowly have been losing my fuck sucking mind. No so doubt when is it. your Men in Black encounter happening? Is it uh, scheduled? See that- you know, when it does happen, I'm really it's I'm going to want to be ready for it because I'm half prepared, but I'm half thinking, of course, it's not going to happen. But then when it does, I got to be like, I got to be on my game. I got to like ask some questions. I have to acquiesce to their demands because I'm not a fucking idiot. And then I've got to fucking figure out what's going on. Then I'll write it down and, uh, you know, maybe keep it on the down low for a little while. Get stupid and release it and go through the fucking uh, hellish nightmare that MIB is bringing. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting myself psychologically prepared. Probably tomorrow, maybe the day after. So by you're happen. getting yourself prepared by losing your shit ahead of time. Mm-hmm. It's okay. the safest bet. It. It's the only way go. to do it. And for you know, by the way, insanity is not knowing your Victorian authors. All right, so get off, step off. All right, guys, this is legitimate, like stream of consciousness bullshit that I'm spewing here. Oh, all right, I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> On New Year's Eve, Arno was told by the woman to throw the stone into a nearby lake. Arno visited his friend Esco and told him that he wasn't going to do it. Instead, he would hide it underneath a barn. (laughs) Ha ha! Safe bet. (laughs) As he returned home that night, a, quote, big axe, half a meter across and without handle, 
suddenly appeared on the path in front of him. Oh, what? what? The fuck? An a- <laughs> a big axe head? <laughs> yes. Like, it just shows oh my up. God. Is this Gravity Falls? Like, what the fuck? Might be, man. It's madness. It, it might be. It was red oh. in color, though it didn't reflect light in any kind of way. The experiencer looked at the axe for 30 seconds before promptly walking toward a nearby lake and throwing the stone in it. <laughs> he's like, you know what? I better do this. Yeah, he's walking. He sees that floating fucking axe, red, and, and yeah. just sitting there. He's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to pull. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to throw. I'm going to pull gonna a full on King Arthur and chuck my Excalibur stone into the lady of the lake there. Oh. Oh, that's hilarious that is funny like i would do the same thing if i knew i was supposed to do something and i didn't do it and i see the floating non-reflective crimson axe i'm like yeah i guess that's a direct sign to do it no matter how yeah, unrelated yeah. it is you got to do it you yeah. have to yep huh. the last reported incident we have concerning arno's contacts occurred on good friday in 1973 arno had agreed to meet with ufo investigator tapani Kuningas at escoville's home Arno seemed to misunderstand and stayed home that day. And when he didn't show up, Tapani and Esco went to Arno's home to meet him. According to Tapani, Arno spotted their car immediately and took a path toward Esco's home. The two men searched the nearby woods for Arno, but failed to find him. Instead, they waited in his home for him to return, where he would turn up three hours later. Arno couldn't explain where he had been or the reason for his strange behavior, though he later disclosed to Tapani that he had headed toward the original encounter site where he saw two black creatures. They were hairy and coming toward him. In the next moment, he recalled being on a mountain two kilometers or over a mile away. He could only recall foggy memories of being in a round room where the walls were covered in cameras. Oh my god! What? Oh, is he wearing a bodysuit with little green bulbs on it? Was he playing King Kong in the next remake? I Holy don't know. Shit. Uh, unfortunately, that is the last bit of information that we have about Arno Heinen's further encounters oh. with strange women, men in yellow hats, and apparently black, weird-looking creatures. Yeah, dude, you got your this bit, guy your has Bigfoots? been through. He's been through the ringer. Like, oh, yeah. What is Esco's take on all of this? Like, Arno's experiencing all this crazy shit. So, Esco must be knowing something's going on. Is he like, my friend's super cool, or like, I'm really concerned for him? Because like, if this is Rob, I'd be like, I'm really concerned for him. But I'd also probably get hammered and experience it with him, too. That's <laughs> so but, true. I mean, so besides that, you know, like, it's just, it's so bizarre that. I, I, what is Esco's take on this? I mean, it's obviously, you know, we don't have any information on it, but I mean, he's the guy that you're like, dude, what is going on with Arno? Like, what's the deal? So there's this interesting take that I have on this case that um, I think relates to a lot of cases uh, because there seems to be a jumping off point for a lot of people. And it usually mm-hmm. starts when other, they start claiming that, They've had further contacts with aliens or mm-hmm. further contacts with UFOs, whatever it may be. And in a way, and in I think in Arno's case here, it's almost like its own cargo cult. It's almost like he's trying to get these alien this alien to come back and talk to him. And 
he's doing it by trying to manifest it through these crazy accounts that just do not make any sense in the aftermath. Like the entire encounter itself is just even the brief encounter with the weird elf looking dude, just it's out there. But right. I think the larger UFO community was behind him ready to believe them because there were two witnesses after all, and Mm -hmm. they both suffered ill health effects. And then you go off the deep end to, I keep meeting this strange woman behind some barns in the woods. And, uh, there's a man in the yellow hat. Sometimes he's just like chilling (laughs) off in the corner. He's kind of like that mantis being that keeps watching David Huggins. Fuck that one alien, uh, over and over again. (laughs) And it's just like observing in the corner and like, (laughs) don't mind me. Don't don't mind me. Yeah. I'm just here. I'm just here doing my thing. But like, (laughs) it's, it feels in its own way like a UFO religion that he's trying to manifest right. for himself and in doing so drawing the aliens back to him. And the thing is, is like every encounter that he has with these aliens, uh, with the exception of that one with Esco in his kitchen is by himself. Right. That's the, it, the it makes one it thing. hard. I mean, yeah. we we've all looked into enough of these cases to know that, um, multiple sightings instantly, whether, whether it's valid or not, whether it's justified or not, whether it's wrong for us to do it. When someone has a really interesting sighting, especially when it's corroborated by another witness, this is in the case of Esco and Arno, it's fascinating. When they start to have multiples, all of our skeptical radars go up as they should. And, mm-hmm. and suddenly it really, it delegitimizes the entirety of the thing. If maybe not the first one that has an alternate witness, but on the other hand, just playing devil's advocate, because this happened a lot with um, some of the Mothman witnesses and a lot of other uh, uh, were, what's her name? Linda, whatever. I don't know. Maybe you remember Mark, but she's Scarberry. Scarberry. Thank you. Living with her parents. You know, they saw the first big Mothman sighting that made international headlines, but then she saw him sort of on her roof looking lonely. And she got this psychic sensation that he was an interdimensional entity or something that was lost on this world and couldn't communicate and then saw other crazy shit. And, you know, so of course me and everyone else, because most of us, you know, despite the fact that we're open-minded enough to look into this stuff and really try to appreciate the evidence at face value academically as much as we can, we are really uh, skeptical. There's not a lot of, at least not that we hang out with or talk to, certainly not you, certainly not Mark or I, or definitely not Chris. We're not like j- just completely credulous and wanting to suck it all up. And like, if, if it's said, it's true. We're trying to break it down. But on the other hand, long-winded as I know I'm being, there is also that small chance that these multiple sightings are occurring and that these uh, intelligences, whether they be extraterrestrial or interdimensional or some sort of other occult type origin, diabolical perhaps, fucking um, are singling him out on purpose because they do not want anyone else to be able to corroborate it. They won't let him take pictures though. Obviously they put him in a fucking room of cameras and irradiate him with another box camera with the, with the elf. So, I, I almost can't help, but I understand being skeptical and I absolutely agree with it, but I almost want to just take it for what it is because what does this guy have to gain? Now I get your theory about starting like a UFO type religion, wherein the more he um, expresses these stories, the more likely he'll have an, another encounter. And and I think there's definitely some validity to it, but there's also the chance that this shit just keeps happening 
And it's not happening to Esco except that one time or the two times, actually, the initial encounter and the faceless dude behind the oven, that that it, it, he's really spiraling down this path through no fault of his own. And these sh- things just keep building up. And even though they make no sense, and even though it, it makes us all feel like, oh, fuck, this dude's either mad or fucking making shit up, there might be a chance that there this is a really uh, a valid series of encounters that are obviously life-changing for this poor son of a bitch. Yeah. And even as crazy as it does get, uh, you know, as you mentioned, like he, you, you go from seeing, you know, the elf being in the woods and the, in the, the weird mother box, then down the road, Esco does, they do have another encounter in the kitchen with right. a faceless being that disappears behind a stove. So no matter how bad shit crazy it, it seems to get, I mean, apparently there wasn't an, another witness to one of the events. So yeah, that's bizarre. Like the other thought that I had, which is a little bit more uh, tragic is that whatever they were exposed to from the first encounter. I mean, if, if this dude just poor Arno dude right. just losing his mind from like deterioration or something, but yeah, some, some, and again, some Asco, yeah, they, they did see the radiation this thing in, in, in or the kitchen. Whatever. So yeah, I Man, mean, this is a, or maybe there's a combination thereof and that's where it gets dark. And Rob, I promise I'm going to let you talk on your own podcast where, where he is <laughs> physio- physiologically uh, affected by whatever these sparks and, you know, this camera, whatever it is. And that there's a combination of continued visitation combined with literal physical uh, gray matter, as Mark said, deterioration. And that it's some weird synthesis of his degrading sanity combined with genuine encounters which make it nearly impossible to differentiate between the two paranoia is a really powerful force Mm -hmm. definitely i have i've been on vacation for the last two weeks and i've experienced it heavy because uh, my furnace has gone out a couple of times now and like the paranoia of it uh, of me thinking it's going to happen again is like incredibly high and you start to have irrational thoughts or you start to do things to kind of shield yourself from like uh, one thing that I'll do is I'll keep my headphones on me all the time. So I don't have to listen to the boiler kick on. Understandable. No, mm-hmm. absolutely. No, I get it. And he, you are absolutely right, Rob. Paranoia is an infection. Mm-hmm. It is so insidious. Anything's like I've, I've definitely I've dealt with anxiety <clears throat> disorders for, you know, since I was a teenager. And, and when that shit overwhelms you, even though your logical mind can try to compartmentalize it and maybe you get through it with whatever means you can. When it hits you, it's it is like it is like a physical disease and that sort of irrational terror be it paranoia, be it anxiety, be it whatever it is, can really distort your perception. And of course, I mean, not to get so deep that it becomes impossible to delineate between events we're really talking about and and shit that seems solid. Your perception of the world, as we all know, is the reality you're living in. And Mm. when it is affected, whether or not it is a psychological matter or a a physical matter, um, it changes literally your reality. As it relates to Arno, especially because well, let's let's point out one thing though that might be a touch of physical evidence. It seemed to be only Arno that the weird mother box, as Mark calls it, the box camera, as I've been calling it, that the elf held. He only fired it at Arno, mm-hmm. and maybe there was something in that that opened up lines of communication, including with the the implant and that, or or contaminated him and like a little burst of Chernobyl right up in his face. I mean, who the fuck knows? And it could be a type of energy that we couldn't detect 
back then and in 1970 and maybe not even now, because of course they're going to have access if they are an interstellar culture to minerals and energy sources and, and modes of radiation that we might not even be able to interpret with the equipment we've had back in the near mid 20th century or even now. So that could be the case for him and a lot of the people that seem to be suffering these effects, but they can't, the doctors brilliant as they are with their sleeping pill prescriptions couldn't find. Yeah. And also too, with that box, uh, if you remember, they, he, he said that he had an implant put in his back. Right. Yes. And then, and then also, yeah, Asco had the the thing in his head, but he was cast aside because he wasn't cool as the backpack that Arno had apparently. (laughs) So, if the, he did meet this this being from another you know galaxy or, or, or dimension or you know whatever you want to call it, and they did implant something in him, and it is like a direct transmission, or it is something that is screwing with him physiologically, where whether it's tossing the serotonin off or giving him weird fucking spikes and shit in his body, yeah. like he could be experiencing like some really super fucked up form of psychosis. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Creepy. The interesting thing. I think is that when you look at, uh, for instance, Betty and Barney Hill, Pascagoula, all of these incidents, you look at them as singular isolated incidents, despite the fact that every single one of those people involved in those, except for Barney Hill, who died, you know, tragically young, uh, claim to have further contacts in uh, Charles Hickson's book that he co-wrote with William Mendez. He talks about further contacts not long after the initial contact in uh, October of 1973. And that was William Mendez's jumping off point. And by and large, if you Google Imyarvi on the Internet, most often than not, it will bring up this case. That is like one of the most like recognizable things about that name is this case. And the perception of that case ends with that lone incident in 1970. Like you don't find this stuff out till 1980. And even then um, it made the mainstream publications in Finland, but it didn't make the mainstream accounts and stuff on other websites because a lot of people aren't necessarily going through, you know, issues of flying saucer review by decade to find this <laughs> well, information. Right. Well, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. I know. We're rare breeds. I was telling, you know, Mark earlier this week that I had found these uh, incidents from Italy involving rat-faced humanoids is what they oh, call them. Oh, gotcha. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, oh, send and, me send me a link, my friend, because you instantly had me, you had me at rat-faced humanoids. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I definitely will. But like, it fits into like the weird stuff that was going on in Italy from like 77 to 81, 83, somewhere mm-hmm. stuff, you know, when people were like seeing UFOs like crazy, they were seeing occupants and, and just all sorts of batshit stuff. And then I find another article that says uh, somebody encountered something similar in Brazil. And it's like, what the hell is going on? And then the thing is, is that they look an awful lot like the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Oh no. It all comes back around. (laughs) It always, it always seems to come back around. Uh, They have very prominent ears. They are terrifying uh, in the artist depiction that they have of them, but uh, definitely I just kind of want to stress to people when, you hear a story about um, 
uh, any kind of like incident that I bring up on this podcast, there may not be, there may be more information out there. And, and, and I think that's, I think that's, you know, with everybody involved, like I, I want to say it was like a decade after the uh, Falkville metal man photos and encounter of 73 that I think it was NICAP's UFO investigator. They, they claim that uh, it was a hoax. So mm-hmm. There's always more than one side to a story, and that's when I'd encourage people to um, keep that in mind and uh, always, I don't know, try and search that stuff out. Like one of the best resources for like all of these old UFO periodicals is a website called Saturday Night Euphoria. If you go there, you click on their library. They have links to like old issues of Flying Saucer Review, the Avro Bulletin, UFO Investigator, all those old resources perfect i love them and i i swim in a sea of it for the exact same reason i agree that's a great suggestion but definitely just keep in mind that if we're presenting a a ufo case there's always we're talking about an isolated incident most of the time we're not talking about what happened in this person's life and like think about that just think about some of the shit that they had to have gone through, like the psychological effects and all that stuff. Because like, I think the main story is compelling. It's just, it falls off at a certain point. Thank you for saying that, Rob, because I couldn't agree more. One of the things that uh, I like to stress in my stories always really is that we're fascinated by the odd creature or, or whatever it is that these, these human beings are encountering, be they kids, adults, you know, whatever. But especially when they suffer for it, think about the human factor. Always remember Mm -hmm. that it was a human being that endured this, that had to accept this, that had to have the courage to come out with it. Now, some are certainly hoaxes and lies. We know that that's just, you know, par for curse as it were, but there are a lot of times where people are really, genuinely going through a traumatic life-changing experience because of their encounters with the unknown. And then they have to live with it and then they have to process it. And then on top of it, very often they have to deal with the grief of ridicule and Mm -hmm. condescension and maybe even, you know, loss of jobs, certainly loss of respect from peers, loss of friends that are just like, I can't be hanging out with a weirdo. And, And these people really endure it too. So both points you made about, Take the time to look for other resources. Podcasts are always just a starting point. And even when as well-researched as as Rob Christopherson's work, just brilliant, there's always something to find, always something to dig into. You know, And I would say it about any podcast on any subject. Use that as a launching point to, you know, a diving board, if you will, to get into the pool of information that's out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I mean, like, perfect example is that, you know, this week, uh, Newsweek printed the story, that headline about uh, the tourists in the Dyatlov Pass area going missing. And then, um, you know, it was broken on Russian websites later that they were found just fine. But the Internet is a free resource, and I definitely encourage people to do as much resource, you know, research as possible. Go that step further if you can. And the frustrating end of trying to find certain pieces of information in a book that is incredibly expensive online and <laughs> Google books is not giving you enough information. Yeah. Mm, oh, yep. boy. <laughs> You're singing to the choir, my friend. Keep on preaching, we know this buddy. Well. Yeah. 
Uh, and I'll say another thing about mainstream media. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Rob. No, no, you're good. But uh, but but in terms of the case that we've been talking about, or at least the uh, the Arno and Esco part of the case, I think one of the reasons that it got a lot of news in um in 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 Finland and and maybe certain circles, but didn't cross the line, is the fact that this thing looks like, as you rightfully pointed out, a uh, stop motion animation Rankin and Bass dressed at least elf with like a more um, you know, like uh, what's that movie legend with Tom Cruise, with Tim Curry, with the perfect devil, but with that goblin hook nose and, and a more kind of nefarious, but maybe not that bad pale blue features. I think the crossover it's funny because a lot of people, even people that are skeptical, will accept the technological aspect of UFOs. And I definitely fell into that case for most of my life. The idea that they're extraterrestrial or interdimensional pieces of technology driven either autonomously or by sentient beings that are just from a different place. Now, obviously, you have to expand. You know, the older I get, the more I read, the more open I am. And and I used to cringe at the thought, oh, God damn it, it's a goblin. It's a fucking elf. It's a... You just you just pissed on your story. It was a great UFO encounter to you threw the fuck sucking elf in there and god damn it. But <laughs> if that's what happened, that's yeah. what happened. And I know we you know Jacques Valli and his uh, you know passport to Magonia and a lot of really esteemed ufologists have opened up to say we can't ignore this just because it's inconvenient and makes yeah. us go well shit. It doesn't yeah. fit into the the Heineck paradigm of the technological things and the and the, the degree of close encounters. And I think, you know, I've become, as I've gotten older, a lot more open-minded. I think people should be too. Yeah, it looks like a typical elf. And so you can go into the scientific camp and say, well, that means all elf stories are actually E.T. encounters from, you know, times of yore. Or you can go the opposite way and say, oh, maybe these are indigenous inhabitants that, you know, people have seen all these years and that they're not visiting from, you know, Alpha Centauri or, you know, Tau Ceti. They're just doing their shit there are other occupants of earth that just happen to have been evolved longer or have better tech and you know and we've got to deal with that aspect of it so besides doing more i i would say the thing that makes you cringe is the thing you should probably research more because if you don't feel comfortable with it it probably means that understanding it will at least either open your mind or make you feel confident that this is bullshit and I don't need to go down this road anymore. But either way, take the time to look into it and and not just discard it because on its face, it seems absurd as this does. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. totally. It's definitely important to come to any kind of publication, any kind of report that you get with an open mind. Yeah. Um, a skeptical but open mind you know yeah, you can be absolutely. skeptical but be willing to just look at the, that's what and i'm sorry to interrupt you again, i'll make this quick be willing to look at it for what it is and be willing to understand that a human being put this out at great risk to their reputation and possibly livelihood especially in the 20th century mm-hmm. uh, absolutely and uh yeah he did not shy away from it so Take that for what you will. So I guess before we get out of here, we're going to go around the room. What do we think happened here? What do we think we're dealing with? Mark, we're going to start with you. What do you, what do you think happened in Imyarvi? Ooh, man. Uh, you know, jeez. I, I think, uh, you know, I was, I know I talked about like the whole mental deterioration from whatever effects he was facing from this blasphemy guy from the box. But I mean, if they did implant something in his back and they're communicating with him, maybe things just got a little bit out of hand, you know, and he just kind of went with it. And I think that because, you know, there was an incident in, in the kitchen 
uh, that was witnessed by somebody else. I mean, I think, yeah, whatever he was experiencing, uh, I think he experienced it. I think that's completely fair. I, uh, I, I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Rob, where are you at with this one? It's interesting because lately, uh, working on, you know, different, different pods for Kryptonite, I've been really looking into interdimensional things and parallel worlds and what the difference between the two is because they're often synonymous. And I'm starting to become much more open to the idea that reality, um, and, and, and we've talked about this before together off the air and, and, you know, Mark and I a lot, um, of the idea of a layered reality where there are different places where different beings occupy the same planet, the same space. They're as indigenous as we are. I, I would call them uh, indigenous aliens. They're from here as much as we are, but from different planes of here. And they're able to traverse these passes with what, you know, you'd call technology. It might seem like magic as Arthur C. Clarke said, any technology sufficiently advanced, I'm paraphrasing, of course, would seem like magic to someone who witnessed it. Um, and so I think this is something from here and something that has been visiting for millennia, if not longer, because there are tons of experiences as much as it's become a cliched, uh, uh, aspect of the appearance of, of elves and the clothing, and it's part of pop culture. It's part of pop culture because there is a cumulative um, observation of these same types of beings and their wardrobe. And I, I think that they're from here. I don't know what they did to poor Arno. I don't know if when the elf with the, the lensed box, whatever it may be, shot sparks at him, if he got exposed to something that was deleterious to both his health and his psyche, or if it was a combination of just such a shocking moment combined with a successive series of encounters that, that twisted him. But I will say my, my take is, and maybe it's just because this is the rabbit hole I'm in right now, is that this is something that is as much of Earth as we are, as giraffes, as crawdaddies, as anything else, but a different level of it. Something that maybe, and this is something uh, people don't discuss a lot, they love talking about how it was the nuclear blast that kind of kicked off the Kenneth Arnold late forties, uh, you know, 47 on flying saucer space. And I think there is something to it, but Gordon Creighton actually said, and he said it much better than me. Um, and I wish I could remember the source where I read it, but we've talked about his, his brilliance in writing and translating, especially for the FSR. And he said, the damage that we are doing with nuclear tests might be infinitely more severe on other levels than it is here. And that will certainly draw the attention of the creatures. He didn't say that we share the world with, but like creatures that are affected by it. And again, it's a paraphrase. I'll try to find the source and, and maybe put it out somewhere. But the point is, even he said that that might be true. And I think there's a way to connect the mythology to modern technological ufo lore because i was a hardcore technologist for many years even though grays bored the tits off me i love the old weird shit um but with like contactees came up with and weird you know doctor who monsters but either way i think there's something to be said for the technological part and i think there's something to be said for what many people would interpret as the fantastical occult element and i used to loathe that but again like i suggested earlier you look into it you got to open your mind i'm not a wholesale believer in like uh, carte blanche everything. I do think that a lot of cryptids are real animals. Unlike Mark, I don't believe uh, Bigfoot is a mystical shaman that walks between <laughs> worlds. I'm not shitting on anyone who does. I, I think it's a fucking, uh, you know, a proto-humanoid, a proto-hominid that just got lucky enough, smart enough, and a small enough population to hide and stay away from fuck-alls with gunpowder and, you know, cheap beer because we're dangerous. All right. Digression aside, I think they share the earth with us. And I think there's something right. worth looking into. I mean, just 
to be fair, she did say they were from however far away in the galaxy uh, from, a, from a, a, a green, a green, lush a green world. Yep. Or, yeah, I know. And Which could be could be Earth, could be proto Earth, could be like Earth negative twenty seven. Could be Earth Batman. two here. You know. Yeah, I mean, I've been reading uh, Batman Death Metal where they have like this new uh, multiverse thing set up with like negative worlds from like fears and stuff like that. So it could possibly be something like it that. It could also but, uh, be quantum yeah. entanglement. It could, could be. be something that might be separated at a great distance, but be completely connected. That might yeah. require a wormhole. It might be in another galaxy or the far end of the galaxy, wherever the fuck it is. And it's lush and Fifth green. Dimension, so dude. maybe they have an Earth that's pristine. And when we're fucking it up, as in quantum entanglement, it one thing affects the other, no matter the <laughs> distance. So I'm not going to take the fact that she said we're from far away to indicate okay. that it can't possibly be interconnected. And this is how we create our own extended universe with yeah. this stuff. Oh, yeah. So, and you guys are yeah, going to is... brand me as insane. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm the fucking pariah. That's fine. I want to know. I don't like I Nazis, know. and I like multiple worlds. I'm the shit heel. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I want to know. I want to hear what Rob Christofferson's take on this. Is. Absolutely. I think the initial encounter is there's too much information there and too many health effects to ignore. I I think that's definitely a legitimate encounter. And for me, it's always going to be where the jumping off point is. And if I can stay on this ride long enough to go along with it. And for me, it's tough because I don't have completely ESCO's view on this because it was never published it was never put into magazines it, it it seemed like this was arno's thing and you know you could take that as it as you want to the entire thing about them being implanted with you know transmitters in their bodies that's not part of the original uh, articles neither is any of the post Uh, encounter stuff it's not part of the original articles and um Mm -hmm. you definitely run into that dangerous point where you get a a very small view of an incident without knowing that there is other stuff to go along with it i think right i think that whatever happened to arno and esco it really heavily affected arno to the point where it just became an obsession for him. And I think it became something that he manifested maybe in his own ways. Maybe the stuff that, you know, he claims happened to him did happen to him, or maybe it's a manifestation of an imagination for someone who wanted it to continue, despite the fact that they had rather ill health from the initial incident. There's something about the otherworldly that for a lot of people makes them want to call it back regardless right, like they came so close to it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like you want to see it manifest again, because it seems like it's a one in a million kind of shot. You, it's mm-hmm. one isolated incident that lasts a few seconds and it is world changing. It is like universe shattering and you want more of it. Maybe you want to understand it more. Maybe you want to carry on a conversation with whatever it is that you're encountering. I admire that side of an experiencer, regardless of you know whether I think they're having real experiences afterwards or not. I respect that. Um, Absolutely. But yeah. uh, I think 
there are things out there, regardless of where they come from, that want to communicate and they want to do things regardless of what they are. And I think this is a case in which that happened. I don't think you could take anything away from them in their initial encounter. There's just, like I said, way too much. But as for what it is, I think I like to just live with the mystery of knowing that there's something crazy enough out there that would want to appear in front of a, a two random skiers and interact with them. I think that's what drives all of us is that there's something yeah. that wants to interact you're for right. whatever reason yeah you totally. know the yeah. fascination we can all have with lights in the sky or like i say um doctor who like or star trek like aliens and and weird cryptids all of that stuff really does especially in terms of the intelligent beings and entities stem from the idea that if they're making even the tiniest bit of effort why and what what can you glean and i don't know how many times i've had conversations especially with people i admire like say george romero who i freaked out the great deceased filmmaker um who after the fact of the encounter i think oh my god there's like 17 questions that i totally meant to ask that i'll never know now because like you say they're not published or they're not whatever and so and so i can see having experience like exactly like you said that's so brilliant and so immense and so life shattering and changing but so brief that once it's over you think to yourself oh i know i need this to i need this to happen again i need to re-encounter i need to i need to know this part i need to ask them even if they're deceptive as they often are and i know keel and a lot of uh, his accolades would say ultra terrestrials like these beings that manifest in different ways simply to fuck with you so you're never going to get the truth but you got to also hope that these are fellow sentient you know intelligences from wherever they may be and i am not totally against the extra uh, terrestrial hypothesis even though i made a, a grand case for parallel you know worlds but i but but there's from somewhere and they're smart and they clearly like you were saying rob want to say something to us now sometimes it might be nefarious all the time it's enigmatic but every now and again, there's a revelation. Yeah. And uh, and yes, I can see where you, you could say like he is constantly striving for it and not having it. I also think, just on a quick side note, that implants might work more than just a communication and tracking device, but might actually be able to resonate in a way, or I don't know if that's the right word, but to affect your ability to experience things. As we said earlier, as we all know, essentially beings, all your listeners, um, the way we perceive reality with the, the the squishy organ and chemicals that are inside of us that make up our brain and, and then, you know, the, the eyes and all the pieces that we sense the world with is how we perceive reality. That is literally the end all be all. And we all might have very unique perspectives and just think we have common grounds. But if they put an implant in you that gives you the ability to experience things or just changes it in the same way elon musk's magic chips might or whatever in, in your brain to interface with the internet then th these incidents might not even be real in a physical sense mm. but just have engaged him not the first one because you got you know you've got to you got to tag the right. deer as it were before right. you can track him in the tundra before you can start sending weird psychic projections into this dude's I'm mind. just saying yeah. it's a it's a side it's a side option. But getting back to what Rob is saying, I absolutely 100% agree with the uh, the assertion that when you experience something like this, no matter how fleeting and how harrowing and how debilitating it might be physically, and it makes you special. Let's be honest. And sometimes, you know, when you're not special, if you're just a farmer or a dude who likes to cross country ski, and now you're across the the world in papers, that might encourage you to make. Uh, you know, other sightings occur so you can be a part of it, or it also might, and we all know this, make you lie. And that doesn't unvalidate the very first experience that has an additional witness. 
But I certainly think, and this, of course, just pollutes the waters. And one of the things that makes it so hard to research these things is that after the fact, some people just make shit up to stay in the limelight. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes perception is as simple as a woman in a yellow dress whose shoes are not connected to her trousers. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. (laughs) We did it, boys. We brought it right back around. Oh, Oh, we made you a rambling mess, my friend. But thank you for taking us on this ride because this has been the most fun I've had in so long. And Rob, welcome back. You Thank were sorely you. missed. Yeah, Rob, welcome and back. I am Holy so shit. fucking excited that you're back in the fold again, man. Here's my golf clap, but I mean that sincerely. That's not a sarcastic I mean, one. As a longtime listener of Our Strange Guys myself, like part of me is like, oh my God, this is Rob's first episode back, and I completely killed it. <laughs> I, but- <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing too. Jesus Christ. Why but- us? Why did you? Oh, you yeah. know we're your asshole friends. Why did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> but on the same note, though, I'm so honored because I've been waiting for him to come back for so long that now I'm here. <laughs> really? I'm super stoked too, man. You know, yeah, no, I'm excited, man. It's good to have and, you back. It's been a, again, a long time without you. Hold Rob responsible for nothing. This is us. On the other hand, savor the fact that he's back and doing what he does, and he does it brilliantly. And I, I couldn't be more delighted. And this was really, honestly, a pleasure to do because yeah, when awesome. I when I saw your research unfold, you know, I do a lot of writing and research too. You know, for our pod, uh, I, I just it was like a revelation. I'm like, this is exactly the way you do it. This is fucking pro status. Well, fucking done, man. And uh, honestly, welcome back. Yeah, man, welcome back. Thank you both. I uh, I appreciate that. And uh, it, it feels good to be back. And uh, it feels good to know that uh, at least I did something. I think I did something good here. So uh, you, you can't go wrong with that assertion. And uh, you can uh, you can look forward to more of whatever this is and like just what our strange skies is and what it can be. And uh, if you think that episodes like this are not what our strange skies is about, you are absolutely wrong. That is, this is totally what we're about. We're about having fun. We're about talking about UFOs and strange stories. And I, I couldn't think of two better people to have on than Rob and Mark from the Kryptonaut podcast. So thank you very much, gentlemen for coming on. And uh, if you want to plug your stuff, feel free to do so. Yeah, sure. Uh, we are available on all the, you know, the, the places you get your podcasts, like the Spotify, the Apple podcasts, uh, Stitcher, any place you can get a podcast. We're there. Check our show out. Uh, kryptonautpodcast.com is our website, the socials, the Instas, the Twitters, the Facebooks. Uh, we have a Patreon over at kryptonaut or uh, patreon.com slash kryptonautpodcast. We sell merch at hellerspace.com and, uh, just look us up. We're, we're, we're pretty much at every outlet you can find us and, uh, and yeah, come, come and check us out. And I will say, nobody has better pod merch than the Kryptonaut Podcast. Nobody. No, nobody comes <laughs> even close. I love you all out there. Don't get me wrong. Nobody comes close. to the. We have a ridiculous amount of merch, actually. There you do. <laughs> There's so many designs. I'm like, Mark I don't know is, Mark is at heart a designer and always was and actually was my tutor as a designer. I didn't even know how to do a poster or a record cover before I met him. And then, you know, he gave me the fundamentals. And of course, I'm an illustrator. So when we get together, this is this is shit we've been doing as friends for years on top of oh, talking forever, about monsters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and drinking together and getting scared at Frankenstein's in a window. That's a story for another time. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and and so, you know, when we just get together and collaborate and I just draw some crazy crypt, it's just fun. Thank you, Rob, though, for uh, 
yeah, appreciating a labor of love. We, it was really sweet of you to say that. Yeah, absolutely, Definitely. gentlemen. Uh, I own f- five shirts, so if you oh. don't own, oh. if you don't own at least three, what are you doing with your life? Seriously, <laughs> yeah, what are you doing with your life? Come on, come on, oh. get them shirts. Oh, you cannot go wrong. Um, and if you want to find our strange skies. I'm not doing much of the social media stuff. You can follow me on my personal page on Twitter at your UFO guy. That's where I tweet most of my uh, stuff these days. But don't forget to look up because you never know what you're going to find in our strange skies or in the forests of Imyarvi. In <laughs> Gray, we trust. <laughs> yes. Oh, Yeah.